You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. This is A.P. Weber. It's good to have you with me. We're continuing the adventures of Woodrow the Wicked with the 18th chapter of The Moonshadow. If you haven't listened to chapters 1 through 17 of The Moonshadow, go back and do that now, because we're getting toward the end of the book with this episode. But before we get started, I'd like to remind you to please consider rating and reviewing Lies and Half-Truths wherever you listen to it. Or send an episode of the show to a friend you think might enjoy it. Cascade Rock is a good series. Send them that. Can't hurt. In fact, it helps a lot. Now for the recap. Last episode, things got crazy. Mulberry turned out to be a fallen angel who is now wreaking havoc on the Ku Island slum. Woodrow and Cassandra have fled in search of their own angel to put a stop to the bedlam. But last they saw their angel friend, he seemed to be incapacitated. Will they manage to rouse the angel before all is lost? Let's find out. And now, Lies and Half-Truths presents The Moon Shadow, first book of The Adventures of Woodrow the Wicked. Part 4 The Ku Island Khan Chapter 18 It took them till well after dark to get to the squid's tentacle inn. The violence had spread throughout the shanty town, erupting in front of them at times and forcing them to find ways around it. The inn was built off the scaffolding along the base of Ku Island so that it stood a bit above most of the other buildings. Light glowed from its windows, giving it the aura of a safe haven. But when they pushed open the door, they found the barrel of a scattershot rifle pointed at their heads. We're just kids, they called in unison, with their hands held up as if they could shield their faces from a blast of buckshot. The clerk lifted the muzzle of her gun and nodded sidewise. Get in here! It's not safe out there! You're telling us, said Woodrow. He turned to Cassandra. What room? Thirteen, she said. The clerk pointed with the barrel of the gun. That's down the hall there, to the right. They came to room thirteen. Woodrow readied his knuckles to knock, but Cassandra caught his wrist. She held her index finger to her lips. A man's voice, muffled but raised, drifted out from behind the door. You put me up to this, he was shouting. Now look what happened. A woman's voice came next, quieter, clearly trying to soothe the angry man, but they couldn't understand what she was saying. No, came the man's retort. I don't want your money anymore. I should have never trusted you. If you can't stop this, I'm going to the authorities. A mocking laugh came next, followed by the woman's mirthful voice. Put that down, cried the man. Get away from me. The teens exchanged dreadful looks. They both slammed their shoulders against the door. Like most things in the shanty town, it was rickety and flew open before them. 
In the room, they found Keat on his knees, his face crinkled in silent agony, his eyes already vacant and lifeless. A scarlet pool blossomed out from a dagger buried in his chest above the heart. At the other end of the dagger was the delicate hand of an auburn-haired young woman. She turned her gaze upon the teens, a gaze both fierce and beautiful, like a naked flame. You, the woman sneered. Betsy, Cassandra cried. What are you doing? Her name isn't Betsy, Woodrow said, his voice low and acrid. It's Jalen Stone. What? said Cassandra. That's the angel's girlfriend, Betsy. Woodrow glared at the woman. Raymond sent you, didn't he? Lord, Raymond, Jalen replied, wiping the blood from her fingers with a handkerchief. And you're behind all this, Woodrow said. She tossed the blood-stained handkerchief and made a small curtsy. Keats' lifeless body slumped over and lay crumpled on the ground, blood pooling around it. So, she's one of the Stone Sisters, Cassandra said. So far, she lives up to her family's reputation. I've hardly begun to impress, said Jalen. Soon, I will have the fallen angel my sisters and I summoned break your scrawny necks once he's finished raising this filthy shanty town to the ground. And where's my angel, Jalen? Woodrow said, taking a step closer. He's here in the bedroom behind me, but I'm afraid he's quite indisposed at the moment. Couldn't kill him, no matter how hard I tried. But no matter, I weakened him enough, and Rick will be back soon to finish him off. Rick? I thought Mulberry sounded a bit contrived. How did you get an angel on your side? Jalen smiled. Don't you know? Magic, my mother always says. Never bring a cock to a dogfight. Would you like to see your friend? By all means, take as long as you want. Rick should be here any moment. Woodrow eyed her. I don't trust you. She laughed. As well you shouldn't. I intend to see you killed tonight. So many members of the Stone family had made similar threats that the danger of the situation hardly registered for Woodrow. But the smug, triumphant expression on Jalen's face made him grind his teeth. He didn't have to endure it long. A flying vase collided with her temple. Her body went boneless in a heap on the ground next to Keats, a trickle of blood running down her brow. Woodrow turned to Cassandra, who had already grabbed a broom from the corner of the room in case the vase had not done the job. Nice throw, he said. She shrugged. I'm sure we could have gotten more information out of her, but that lady was seriously creeping me out. Pray you never meet her sisters. Let's get the angel. The angel lay upon the bed in the next room. Around his neck, on a silver chain, hung the small box given to him before the fight. The lid of the box lay open, a thin wisp of white vapor trailing from it. Look at his breath, Cassandra said. It's coming out in clouds. Woodrow leaned over the angel. The box, it has some sort of magic. That must be what's keeping him unconscious. He grasped the chain. It felt like holding an icicle. He gave it a sharp tug and the clasp broke. 
He closed the lid on the box and threw it into the corner of the room. Then he shook the angel's cold, marble shoulders. Come on, Featherhead, wake up! The angel's eyelids flickered. Well, he's alive at least, Cassandra said. Angel, come on! The angel opened one eye, just a crack. It settled on Woodrow. There's another angel. His voice croaked. I felt his presence. Woodrow gave him a relieved smile. Yeah, we know. He is corrupted. You're telling me. He's wreaking havoc on the shanty town right now. It's a mess out there. The angel tried to rise up on an elbow, but settled down again upon his back. I think that Betsy woman was poisoning me. Somehow, it felt like I was stuck in the frost sphere. Can you get up? We need to leave. That other angel, Rick, I guess his name is, she said he's going to be here any moment. Rick, the angel mumbled, doesn't sound like an angel. We need to go. The angel slid his legs to the edge of the bed. He sat up, his wings hanging limp behind him, and put his hand to his forehead. Is the construct near? Woodrow consulted the display on his gauntlet. He's not far, but it looks like he's not moving. Cassandra took the angel by the arm. Then we go to him, she said. She tugged futilely. What are you made out of? Glory, said the angel, and stood on his own. He took a careful step, straightened his posture, and strode toward the door. After two steps, he fell forward in a mist of feathers. He stood again and steadied himself against the doorframe. Eventually, all three made it to the inn's lobby. The clerk gaped. The angel nodded at her and continued shuffling toward the door. Outside, they discovered what had held up Hartford. Not far down the boardwalk, from the inn, his head and shoulders bobbed out from a crowd of red-sashed blood letters. It seemed plain that they had rallied around him, following him as their champion against some foe that now dogged them. But where was the enemy? There were no war dogs to be seen anywhere, yet the mercenaries crowded around Hartford like chicks to a hen. Every man's head tilted up to the black sky. For the breath of a heartbeat, a shadow fell upon the crowd, then vanished, leaving behind a chorus of wails and what seemed to be a misting of red rain. Woodrow heard Cassandra curse breathlessly beside him. Raven wings swooped down out of the void and lit upon the boardwalk between the inn and the crowd of bloodletters. Mulberry. Rick. The fallen angel. The demon. He stood with his back to the inn, his pale skin turned amber by the firelight. His arms hung at his waist, dripping with thick crimson from his fingers to his elbows. When the demon turned his head, Woodrow saw the crimson smeared on his mouth and chin as well. Disgusting. Woodrow heard the angel beside him say, I will put an end to this. What are you going to do? whispered Woodrow. You're in no condition to fight. 
Dangel looked at Cassandra, and the corner of his mouth twitched, almost like a smile. I will deceive him then. Cassandra shook her head. No, you're bad at lying. The angel ignored her. He stood up straight, flexed his shoulders, and spread his wings to their full span. Brother! He called out. Stop this madness. Rick shook the blood from his arms like it was dishwater, speckling the blood letters so that they flinched and shuffled backward. Then he turned to the angel. You're up. How nice. Are you recovered? Woodrow and Cassandra backed away, but the angel stood his ground. His voice boomed, steady as ever. Not fully recovered, but well enough to put an end to this butchery, if I must. I think not, said Rick, taking several steps toward him. That box held the essence of the frost sphere. As soon as you opened it, it drained you of your glory. By now, I'm sure you have discovered that there is a spark of the divine in all the base life forms down here. After my fall, it took me decades of feeding on these disgusting little vermin before I could even approach the power I had in the heavens. Of course, you've had that magic jewel there to feed off of. The angel bared his pearly white teeth. I don't feed off of anything. I have absorbed the power of the stone but once. That was enough. Rick stopped his advance. He tilted his head to the side and studied the angel. He seemed to make up his mind and wagged a bloody finger. That's impossible. No, I pegged you for an incubus as soon as I saw you. The way those women fawned on you. That would have been my preferred method if I could just figure out how to do it properly. It's so much easier to get it from the blood I find. The angel blinked, then dropped his eyes. Yes, of course. There is no need to hide it any longer. I have Congress with the human women, and in so doing, I steal the spark of divinity from within them. That's what I've been doing with the witch this whole time. Rick gave the angel another studied look. The angel cleared his throat. The demon narrowed his eyes. So this whole time, you've been... He completed the sentence with a lewd gesture. The angel shrugged in reply. Whether intended or not, it came off as genuinely nonchalant. Rick took a step back. Well, I can't blame you for that, the demon conceded. I don't want to fight you, brother, said the angel. We starborn are all kin. Cease your violence, and we will go our separate ways. Rick rubbed his chin with his hand, absently smearing gore around. Fair enough, but why go our separate ways? There is a lot of power in that stone, plenty for two. Show me how to draw its power, and together we will rule these monkeys like gods. A look of inquiry flashed across the angel's face. 
He composed himself and frowned a broad, exaggerated frown. Yes, of course. The secret of drawing power from the stone. But I cannot teach it to you in good conscience. I do not wish for you to share in my terrible doom. Brother, sooner or later, the god who wrought that stone and poured his essence into it will come for retribution. We immortals are bottomless vessels for the wrath of an angry god. Rick made a resigned gesture. Fine. I figured there had to be strings attached. This has actually been quite a lot of fun for me, so it's not a total loss. All said and done, I made a great deal of money, too. If you see that lovely little human witch again, thank her for me. If I were you, though, I'd kill her. Then I'd go kill her family. They are not going to stop pursuing you. And this little plot I helped her arrange is not the only card in their hand. The angel nodded. Thank you. That is sound advice. Rick gave a faint wave. If you'll excuse me then, I've got a treasure to collect. Might as well rob these fools before I go. And with that, he shot into the sky. The angel watched Rick's black wings disappear behind the island. He wavered, then fell to one knee. Boy, the construct, bring it to me, he said, then added, please. Woodrow put on his goggles and reissued Hartford's call command. What was left of the bloodletters, dismayed and utterly defeated, just watched their champion go. Woodrow and Cassandra decided to bed down at the squid's tentacle for the night and wait for the violence to blow over. Do what you want, said the angel, after holding his hand on Hartford's chest for several seconds. I am recovered. I must go deal with the demon. We should check on that witch, said Cassandra. Woodrow agreed, but when they returned to her room, Jalen was nowhere to be found. Woodrow rubbed the back of his neck. That silver box has gone too. Cassandra put her hand under her cowl and touched something secreted away under her garments. She brought her hand out again, empty. She glanced at Keats' body. So, he was a mole the whole time, I guess. Woodrow slumped into an armchair. How did all this happen? How did it get so messed up? Well, Jalen and Rick got here first, obviously. Rick joined up with the Bloods, and Jalen infiltrated the dogs. They must have paid Keat to ask us for help, said Woodrow. That did seem kind of weird now that I think about it, asking a couple of kids for help. He must have been spying for them too, Cassandra realized. That's how they stayed one step ahead of all of our plans. Such as they were. Kind of brilliant, really. They had us on the ropes. Had things not turned out the way they did, they could have legally taken the moonshadow without any bloodshed. She fell silent. Woodrow put his hand on her shoulder. You couldn't have known it would turn out like this, Cass. She shivered. I don't want to talk about it. What worries me is what that Rick said about the Stones having more to their plan. What's next? Woodrow frowned. Yeah, I can't stop thinking about that either. Listen, I don't want you to be in unnecessary danger, Cassandra. I, 
I care about you too much for that. He cleared his throat, as if making room for some words that were difficult to get out. <clears throat> Maybe you'd be better off finishing your drift on another ship. You're kidding, Cassandra said, aghast. You'd be dead in a week without me. Woodrow smiled at her response. He turned away and pretended to rub an itching eye so she wouldn't see him fighting back a tear. Thanks for listening to Lies and Half-Truths. This episode was written and performed by A.P. Weber and produced by Meg Weber. Our theme was provided by Josiah Martins. Original music by Mackenzie Stubbert. Please consider liking, sharing, or reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to, to it. You can also support me, A.P. Weber, on Patreon. In any case, please join us again next time for more Lies and Half-Truths. <laughs>